And out of this $1.8 billion they, they took, $1.5 billion out of commissions. Only $300 million were really used for, for, for real business. Money makes a Today, we will deep dive into the One Malaysia Development Berhad scandal, often referred to as the One MDB scandal. The story involves corruption, bribery and money laundering, in which the Malaysian sovereign wealth fund, One MDB, was systematically embezzled for more than $4.5 billion. One MDB is a sovereign wealth fund created to invest the people of Malaysia's money to make strategic investments and alleviate poverty. For my fellow Norwegians, imagine if the news broke that someone had stolen $4.5 billion from our sovereign wealth fund. It would be a huge scandal. What makes it worse is that one of the people behind the scandal was the then Prime Minister of Malaysia, Najib Razak. He channeled over $700 million of the funds into his personal bank accounts. The funds were used to purchase luxury items and properties, including a super yacht, and ironically enough, even financed the production of the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. In addition, other officials from Malaysia, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates gained massive riches. The 1MDB scandal has been described as one of the world's greatest financial scandals and declared by the United States Department of Justice as the largest kleptocracy case to date. 1MDB was started in 2009, and in 2014 and 2015, the rumors began to spread that something was wrong. In January 2015, over 200,000 documents proving the fraud was leaked to the activist blogger Claire Rucastle Brown. The documents were reportedly leaked by Swiss national Xavier Justo, who was working in Petro Saudi, one of the companies involved in the fraud and money laundering scheme. We invited him today to give us a deep dive into what actually happened. How did he become a whistleblower in the world's biggest financial scandal? Well, uh, I used to be a banker in Switzerland in the, in the 90s and obviously uh, in, 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 until 2010 when I sold my company. I moved to Asia with my girlfriend, who is now my wife. And in early 2010, I got a couple of calls from my from a friend who was my best friend at the time, who, uh, who had a, um, an oil company, of course, without any employees, without any activities at the time. The name of the company was Petro Saudi, uh, which obviously uh, makes you think that it's related to the to the Saudi Arabia oil uh, business, but it was not the case. So I was in Asia in in. February 2010, and my friend called me saying, I, I need you to work for me and for my company in London. Uh, you'll be the number three of the company. We have received a lot of money uh, through the through a joint venture with the Malaysian state fund 1MDB. So I need you to come to London to, to, to look after a few companies, to look after the Venezuelan business that we have, uh, we have there. So I said, okay, why not? So, so I went to London. Uh, full of hope, full of, uh, of expectation for a new life. And uh, I spent there one year, not more, not less. And things uh, were not was at was I was expected. I was expecting, sorry. There was a lot of money. I did a lot of travel to Venezuela. 
the business was okay. I mean, I, I discovered the, 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 the oil business uh, with Venezuela. It was, it was some, really something great. But inside the company, there were two people that were the number one and number two. The first one was Mr. Tarek Obeid, and the second uh, person was Mr. Patrick Mahoney, and I was the third one. And these two people, there is a saying that, which says that when you receive a lot of money or when you become rich, you can become crazy. And uh, those two people, uh, they went completely, completely crazy. And after a year, I resigned. Roughly three years after I left the company, I got a call from a British journalist that uh, she heard my name through some Malaysian people in London. And she asked me if she could come over and talk to me about corruption in Malaysia. And I said, that's, uh, that's fine with me. If you come over to Bangkok or to Thailand, I'll be pleased to, to talk to you. And that's how it started. He wondered if it was easy to see that Petro Saudi was set up to embezzle money from 1MDB. The evidence was right there in front of his eyes. Millions of dollars were spent on estates and commissions, but even fraud in broad daylight can be hard to spot. I saw a few disturbing things. I mean, for example, Mr. Obeid, who had pretty much had no money when uh, a few months uh, prior to my arrival, bought a house, a flat in Mayfair for eight, nine million pounds. Mr. Mahoney bought a, a house in Notting Hill for, I think it was six million. He bought a beautiful chalet in the Swiss Alps for, uh, for I think around 10 million. Uh, I mean, they, they, were, they were partying nonstop. I saw one for almost 20,000 pounds. It, it, I mean, we were not flying anything, uh, anything else than private jet were not, was not good enough for the company. So I saw a lot of, a, a lot of money, but there is something seeing a lot of money. Mm. And another thing is to see the, the proofs of corruption or, of, or uh, illegal money. I had some doubts, obviously, but uh, again, I mean, uh, in the oil business industry, it's, it's also about, about commission, but um, I wasn't aware of the, the magnitude of, uh, why, of what they took out of, uh, of the deal. The spending sounded crazy, and we wanted to know how much 1MDB actually put into the joint venture with Petro Saudi. If I just go back to the deal, uh, just to give you uh, some, some numbers, the amount that Malaysia, the state fund of Malaysia, the sovereign state fund, meaning people's money, they sent over to Petro Saudi uh, $1.8 billion. And out of this $1.8 billion, they took out for themselves. And when I said themselves, it's Mr. Obeid, Mr. Mahoney, uh, Mr. Jolo, uh, and others. They, they took 1.5 billion out of commissions. So they, that's, that means that out of the 1.8 invested or sent by Malaysia, only 300 millions were really used for, for real business. And that was the business I was taking care of. The, the Venezuela two drill ships that we had there. Until that moment, I had no proofs. I had suspicions, of course. I mean, I, I'm not stupid. Uh, when people get rich so quick, it's obvious that maybe something is fishy, but you can't judge people without, without proofs. But in fact, Xavier was sitting on a bunch of proof without really realizing it. Strange conversations and emails was the foundation of the 1MDB story. So I left the company in, uh, I think it was April 2011. I had the, 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 a copy of the Petro Saudi server that I received after my departure from the IT guy in Geneva. 
if you receive a hard drive with 227,000 emails in four different languages talking about everything, I think you could, I could spend, even knowing the ingredients of the file, I could spend a lifetime going through those, uh, those documents. So by the time I met Claire, I could show her a couple of pieces. So I show her what I, what I knew, a couple of transfer with strange names. She knew a little bit, so she started, let's say, building a case. And uh, this went through uh, February 2015 when I met some um, Malaysian journalists in Singapore, and they had the inside. They, 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 knew, they knew better than, than I, the, 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 the corruption machine that was 1MDB. So with my, let's say, pieces or emails and with the knowledge, it was easy to, to, to add 1 plus 1 and to, to find it was 2. So between Claire and them, uh, th that's why the case became, uh, became public and famous immediately, because everything was there. One of the crucial pieces of evidence that was on the hard drive was documentation that a transfer of $700 million did not go to Petro Saudi, but in fact went to accounts controlled by Joe Lowe, one of the masterminds behind the 1MDB scandal, and Xavier's two colleagues at Petro Saudi. When you said there was a transfer of 700 million, that's it sounds strange, but you have to prove that it's this account was not in the name of Petro Saudi as it was supposed to be. They had to prove that this Kutz account was in the name of Goodstar and that the ownership of Goodstar was a Jolo and not Petro Saudi. So that that how they, they they could prove everything. We're talking about huge amounts of money and colleagues that gained massive riches. He was the number three of the company. Did he really not know what was going on? We had uh, an accountant working for us. We, have, we had a legal team working for us. And the only numbers that were in our possession that we could look at were the numbers of the, these 300 million that were officially transferred to, to a bank in Geneva, J.P. Morgan, and that was the working capital. The rest, whenever we had question, we asked question about what was the money sent by the Malaysian. They said it's this 300, 300 million. The rest is just the press. So there was no way for me. When I say me, I mean, I'm not an accountant or a lawyer. I, I didn't know the truth. The accountant didn't know. And you can go until the, 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 the legal team. After Xavier leaked the documents, Claire, the activist blogger, published the story and everything exploded. There was a lot of powerful individuals involved. And we wondered, did he feel safe now that he was a whistleblower in this story? When I saw the first article, which was called the, the Ace of the Century, uh, I was a little bit surprised uh, because when we discussed with Claire and people from The Edge, uh, we kind of reached an agreement that she will publish uh, the story uh, bits by bits and she will not go nuclear uh, immediately. So she went ballistic with the first article. So, of course, when I read the article, I started sweating a little bit. But I was not really worried because, I mean, <laughs> I, I was living in Thailand, in my small, small island of Koh Samui. This was a Malaysian story. Malaysia and Thailand, they don't go along very well. There are some historical problems in the south border. So I, say I'm, I, I felt like I was immune to, to all of this, which obviously was not the case. Want to explore what the future of KYC looks like? 
Try our interactive product tour and learn how some of our most popular platform modules turn complex data into meaningful insights and manual KYC tasks into automated processes. Go to strice.ar today and explore the magic of Strice. For the full experience, use your desktop device. However, Xavier wasn't safe in Thailand. And as he puts it, money has no border. My mistake was just not to realize that with so much money, with such political people involved, there is no border. The, the money has no border. It, that was probably my major mistake, not to realize the magnitude and the involvement of those people and what they could do to be in another country. However, becoming a whistleblower and leaking the documents about 1MDB did not come without consequences. Three months after the story broke, Xavier was suddenly arrested in Thailand. So it was like, I remember very well, it was like yesterday. So I look, uh, I look out, of, out of the window and I saw like six, seven cars, like 12, 15 people. And uh, in, a, in a blink of an eye, I was like handcuffed. Uh, they threw me inside the house and that's where the, 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 the nightmare started. I was sent, uh, I, mm. I was sent to, my first, I, I spent the first night in, the, in a cage in Kosami. And the next day I was sent uh, to, to Bangkok with the police and cough in, uh, in, the, um, in the plane. Uh, arriving at the airport, I was, uh, there were the, 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 the SWAT team was waiting for me. Like people taller than me and I'm 190, so it's difficult to be taller than me. Harmed with hand grenades, with shotgun, I mean, with like six, eight vans, I always, I was, and again, now it's it's funny because time has, has passed, but my first reaction when I, they were there with me, said we, they didn't speak Thai, and more than that, they didn't speak to me. I was I was just saying, well, we're expecting somebody else, like a big guy, I don't know, a drug trafficker, an international pedophile, a terrorist, whatever. But no, they did that for me. They sent me to, to the courts the following day. I was presented to the press like a trophy. Xavier was now in custody and was told to plead guilty of leaking secret documents. They promised him he would be out in a short time, but Xavier tried to refuse. The police wanted him to cooperate and started talking about years in prison, so Xavier eventually agreed to confess that he had stolen the data he was originally given. We also wanted to go back and find out how he was arrested in the first place. The, the money was stolen in Malaysia by the, Mala the Malaysian prime minister and some of his accomplices. I was in Thailand. Thailand is, uh, as you may know, uh, is, uh, is still a military regime and a very corrupt regime. So there was not, it was not difficult for them to, for when I said to them, to go to Petro Saudi and the Malaysian side, to, to bribe the, the, the generals, the government, and to build a case against me. Xavier was not a Malaysian citizen, which turned out to play into his favor. I am Swiss by chance, otherwise I would have been extradited to Malaysia. I had the, the full support of my government uh, uh, during the, the, the second part of my incarceration. Otherwise, the, uh, I, I was ending up in, in Malaysia. I would have not been uh, discovered or I would have been killed. Or the, uh, I mean, they wanted to silence me. So they chose these three years because that would have, the end of my sentence would have been after the elections that the, the prime minister lost uh, eventually. The allegation against Xavier was that he was using the documents to blackmail ones who took money from 1MDB. He has always claimed his innocence and is now out of prison. 
And the silver lining of the story is that the former prime minister of Malaysia is now the one being incarcerated. Apparently, when you go to jail in Malaysia and you are a VIP guy, you're you are full of disease. You're, every other day you go to the hospital. But we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens. He, had been sentenced, he, had been, he has been sent to jail, so it's already, it's already a, a good step for me not being the only one that went to prison. With the former prime minister of Malaysia in prison, we wanted to know what Xavier's life looked like nowadays. I'm just helping the justice. Uh, by the way, if you, if you want to know about my involvement with the justice, I'm a, I'm a witness in the case that, the Swiss, that Switzerland has opened against Tarek Obaid and Patrick Mahon in Switzerland for uh, bribery of foreign official, uh, aggravated money laundering. So I'm a witness at the request of the Swiss authority. But at the same time, a couple of years ago, Switzerland has opened an investigation against me for industrial espionage. So in, in, in one way, they ask for my help, and the, uh, in the other, they, they are investigating me. It's a complete nonsense. Because of the document that I gave to the press, that have been accepted now by the Swiss justice as an important element in their investigation. So it's like the, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And I, I am in the middle, which is okay at the end. Uh, uh, life is what it is. You have actions, you have reactions. You have to live with that. Mm. Do you regret coming forward and being a whistleblower in this case? Uh, if you are... Have asked me that question two, three years ago. I would have said yes. I don't see a lot of fairness uh, at the end, but that's I can't go back in time. I can't, but I, I will probably do the same. Being a whistleblower proves to be tough and can lead to hard times, as we now know. How can we, as a society, help people who sit on important evidence to come forward? I would love to have the answer. That will mean that I'm doing something with my life, professionally speaking. I think I have done something good to the world. I think I have exposed, with the help of journalists, I'm not a single hero in the story. I'm not a hero. This money that was stolen from Malaysia, that was not stolen from rich people. Malaysia, it's, it's, if you go to Kuala Lumpur, you will, you will have the impression it's a rich country. But you have a lot of poor people, simple fishermen, farmers. This money was stolen from them. So I had no options. I mean, morally speaking, I couldn't do anything else. So I have done something which I think is morally good something good for the world, something good for the justice. As of August 2021, in an ongoing effort to fight global kleptocracy, the US Department of Justice recovered and returned a total of $1.2 billion of 1MDB funds to the people of Malaysia, which means a lot of money still haven't been recovered. As we now know, the former prime minister is in prison but some of the businessmen behind the scandal, such as Joe Lowe, is still on the run. We wanted to know what Xavier thought about the next steps in this scandal. Well, I think uh, it was a good signal that finally Mr. Najib Razak went to jail. It, it, it gives an example, even if he, he, he's a, he, even if he's enjoying in a way the, the, his facility by going out every day to the hospital. But that will give a signal, I hope, a strong signal to the Swiss authorities. Can you imagine that Switzerland opened an investigation against Patrick Mahoney and Tarek Obeid with a lot of evidences, believe me, I, I, we gave with my wife hundreds of pages. They are under investigation for the last five years. Five years. 
if in two years, if in October 2024, they have not been sentenced, they will reach the status of limitation, meaning they will work free as innocent people. And everybody knows that they are guilty. There are all the evidences, but they, are still, they still have access to money, to a lot of money. They were allowed for, they were allowed for five years Five years is 60 months to withdraw for legal and business fees 1 million per month of stolen money. That's how they are free, because with this money you can, you can, oh. you can hire the best lawyers in the world. And that's, I'm not saying that without, without evidence. I published that in my Facebook. It's a US uh, legal decision that was published. That's how it works. After all of this, you would think Xavier's former colleagues at PetroSaudi would have lost their estates and fortunes. But did they? So I, I can tell you what I know. Uh, London, I don't know. But Mr. Patrick Mahoney spent a few weeks last year in December in his chalet in Launen in the Swiss Alps, one of the most ex expensive areas in the Swiss Alps. A very beautiful chalet. Mr. Obeid is living in La Clinique de Genelier, which is a kind of health center with stem cell to, to make look younger. But they also rent houses and flats, very expensive. He's living there and he's not working to pay his rent, believe me. The, the, the moral, one of the morals of the story is that everybody is living pretty much the same life or a better life, except the guy, the, the, the two guys, Claire Rukasor Brown is, is having his share, her share of problems also, legally speaking. So we are living in, in less good conditions than before, and the criminals are still enjoying life. Not all is aligned yet, but hopefully with the help from Xavier and the Swiss authorities, his former colleagues will be charged for their crimes. Thank you for listening to The Laundry. We hope you liked today's special. Check out our social media channels for more content about 1MDB and other scandals in our series, How Criminals Launder Money. Talk to you again next week.